welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. God's power, it says lack in There's a meeting in progress. <laughs> Thanks, so they're listening to us. Um, God is over here, and it's all the power I need to be sober. If there is a contest between my addiction and God, there is no, there is no contest. God is bigger than the addiction, and it's done. The struggle is because I'm between. I, I, if I try to pry my hands off my defects of character, it doesn't work. But if I hold on to God, it falls from me. Now, it doesn't fall instantly, and now I'm the epitome of patience or the epitome of chastity or the epitome of freedom from perfectionism or humility. It seems to be a chipping away process. But the more I hold on to God, the quicker this works. And it took me a long time to do that. So when I share with sponsors like this, it's kind of like saying, here, I want you to go find a mountain to climb, bring a lawn chair, bring blue Gatorade, and... Um, some literature and just do these things at a tuna fish sandwich. It's like, if you do this, it'll work. And they look at me like, well, why tuna fish? Yeah, no, you don't need to really understand why this works. Just humbly do it. Because I struggled with defects of character until I realized, just say, God, please grant me action. God, please grant me serenity in this moment. Help me to be flexible. So it's kind of like two things. I got to understand what the problem is. And then I need, it's helpful to know what the solution is. I don't even have to have the right words. Because like, what's the opposite of perfectionism? Being imperfect? Well, that's not necessarily. So it's like, help me to be accepting that I'm in this human state. I'm in this human condition. To be patient. And what I found is each time there may be some different virtue you need. So in the early days, the recovery fairies prepared this all for us. You're going to have chips, um, and you'll have a Sharpie. And there's probably more Sharpies in a box. But you can um, write on these chips to remind you of what are your top three or four people. It was kind of a joke. In the bag, some have six, some have two, some have three. <laughs> Why are they different? Well, some of us have less defects of character. <laughs> some of us will never, in this life, my experience is you'll never have it be like this, where it's empty. Yeah, no, we all have defects. So um, it's also helpful to have a sponsor help you with what is going on. I found it very useful. And also morning meditation. Say, God, please, what do I need? In fact, one of my um, 
Oh, I love this. And this is from my faith tradition. And it says we can share some of our prayers from our faith tradition. It says, God, I do not even know what to ask of you. You alone know what are my true needs. You love me more than I myself know how to love. Help me to see my real needs or my real defects or my, the need for character, virtues. Um, I do not dare ask either for this or for that. I just wait on you. I wait in silence. You know, I want your holy will to be done. And if we're quiet, because at the beginning stage, it's just like, okay, I'm ready to work. Okay. And then I was so tense, so, you know, boom, 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 wanting God to, it's like, no, just be quiet. In my experience is sometimes I get it later. I did my morning prayer, okay, and then it's about 10 or 11 or 12, and it's like, oh, what I need is calm and peace. So I want to make sure that I'm on task time-wise. So we have um, handouts, and in the early days, they did do... Um, they around. I think it was 19 virtues. You might have heard something about um, On the Beam. Have you heard about On the Beam? Yeah, On the Beam. So you're either on the beam or off the beam. Okay. And yeah, there's these little cards that comes from the early days. And I think On the Beam, if you look it up, had something to do with flight and being level. Because a lot of what we're asking for is balance. It's not the complete opposite. It's balance. Like, no sexuality is probably not chastity. No eating is probably not the opposite of gluttony. It's like temperance, asking for chastity. Chastity actually means wholeness. Let's see how that goes. Yeah, I want to get you working on this, but I'll finish with this. Um, when I started studying, what is the word chastity? Chastity means holistic. It means together. Then I contrasted that with the defect of character of lust. Lust is brokenness. It's splitting. So it's about body parts. It's about not having emotional connection, but I just want sexual connection. It's outside the context of marriage for some of us. And it's like, wow, so praying for wholeness. And it's so, this is my morning, you know, God, take away impatience, please grant me patience. Take away lust and grant me chastity. Help me to be kind towards people Help versus nice. Help me to be transparent. So I'm a big fan of praying for what you want. And I do see it kind of like a shopping. Mm -hmm. And then um, when doing the, the inventory, uh, this will help you. Token to go, okay, when you reach in your pocket, your purse, you'll go, oh, this is what's on the, this chronic illness. It's like we have kind of a chronic illness thing going on. It's not acute, but a chronic, it, it requires a chronic solution. Something like this helps. So any questions on that? So you can take a Sharpie. Take some time, just pray, meditate. And um, I think we just finish at 10 now, correct? At 8.30? A little bit before that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. So um, maybe I'll pray a little prayer. 
that might be good for students. Um, God, just be with us today. Help us to see ourselves. In the safety of your love, help us to see our true self. And help us to know what you want to change in our lives. Bring up for us whatever defect of character that is causing us pain and suffering. And grant us the opposing virtue. We thank you that we can ask these things because we know that this is your will for us. So we just thank you and praise your holy name. Um, it Another one? I want to say a last call for questions. I've been kind of roaming the room around here. I was asking people if they would like to write a question down for the old timers panel that we're going to be having in about 10 minutes. So if anybody has a question, burning desire question that they would like to write down, just come up here to the front and I'll give you a blank one. And we have about maybe 20. So we're just asking for a few more. Some of you I've asked have, are on the panel, so I don't think that's fair. Um, <laughs> so, so if you have any questions, just come see me. Thanks. in marriage, yeah. Oh. In marriage, so you want them to point out their uh, spouse's character defects. <laughs> yeah, what are your spouse's character defects? <laughs>
They're like, yeah, he's got that. He's got that. Oh, definitely that. So we have some good questions that came up. People have asked, do I, how do I do it? That's how I kind of like, I want to do this right. So um, on one side, it's up to you. At first, my thought is just write down your defects. But then I thought, oh, you could write virtue on the opposite side if you want. If you're the type of person that wants to just focus on the positive, you could just put the positive there, or you can just keep the negative. You can write that. On these checklists, you can use that as a guide, and we have plenty. So if you want to take a few just to get yourself going, um, you can just, you know, like um, anger and control. Um, you're responsible. So this one is more the defects. Um, the one that has, there's one that I think has um, the, on one side the, the defects and on the other virtues. The little one has that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. They're embedded right there. So chaotic versus serenity. Criticizing versus praise. Versus black. So this is a great guide to give you at the beginning of praying. But I will say it's a struggle to know what is it that I need that kind of wipes out that. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have one um, sponsee who just takes a picture of his checklist, his spear inventory, snaps a shot of it. And it triggers me to then inspire me to want to do uh, that kind of inventory as well. So, yeah, that's another thing about doing this. The real work is actually the prayer. Yeah. Could you please repeat what you said about um, trying to rid yourself of your own effect versus humanity? Sure, sure. The good question is I'm going to repeat what I said about me trying to get rid of my own defects. The interesting thing is how many of us tried to get rid of lust by trying harder? Ah, yes. It seems like that was the default. Like, I got myself into this mess, and I got to get myself out. That's why we tried to do it alone. I wouldn't want to be transparent. Um, and I would stubbornly try to make myself sober. I'm going to use self-will, self-direction, self-power. So the opposite of self-willed is God's will. The opposite of self-powered is God's power, which in page 45 of the AA Big Book, it says, lack of power, that was our dilemma. And self-directed, like I have a plan. They even have a name for it called the director who wants to run the whole show. So 
it took me a while to realize, well, why would I then go and work on my defects of character thinking I had the power to do that? Why not just ask God to remove these things? So it takes like two minutes. It's really bizarre how short this is. And when people check in with me and I say, did you do step 10 and 11 today? If they say, yes, great, you're doing the program. But they go, well, I was busy. Then, well, let's do it next because we're not, the program isn't happening. And so then the key is how, I, how do I even identify with that? I can't do that myself either. I have to ask God to show me myself. And, and this is cool. I was reading this, and it, it says that when we're interacting with people, and I'm upset, I'm disturbed. That section in the book where it says, when I am disturbed, there's some person, place, or thing unacceptable to me. What's going on there? Early recovery, it's all about them. Later recovery, it's about me. It's my defects of character that are disturbing for instance, if someone mugs us, does something really, really bad to us, we could get almost everybody to agree with us. But if I have faith in God, trust in his holy will, patience, an understanding that the person who mugged us was perhaps spiritually sick, then I would be more serene. Maybe not totally serene, but a lot more serene. So I have to identify what I need and then ask God to just give it to me. And this is funny. He will. Why, why would God not give us these virtues? And if we struggle with doubt, like I, sometimes there's doubt. People feel like I can't ever get better. Then just pray for faith. Ask God to. I think we work so hard at this. That we, we work so hard at this. And then we're miserable. So now I'm going to ask God to do for me what I can't do for myself, which is take with my defects. Other questions? Yeah. Not necessarily on this, but I'm due to my name's Ron. Hi, Ron. Uh, uh, trying to find a sponsor. My wife, she's trying to find a sponsor. She's been through the Essanon thing for longer than I have been through the trying to get into the So, I live in the Florida area, so I'm trying to find a sense program as well as trying to find a sponsor. So, how do you find this sponsor? Great. So, the question is how to find a sponsor. That's probably one of the most important questions you can ask. Great. Go to um, eight to 10 meetings, go to as many meetings as you can in different meetings. And then look for someone you go, I like how they're speaking. I want what they have. They've had the problem and somehow there's enough solution in their life. And then you just ask them, which takes courage. In fact, courage could be the opposite virtue of procrastination. We're just so fearful and you feel a force. See, the strange thing about force, I was writing something about a force. A force always involves coercion. Sex addiction takes you where it wants you to go. You just think you're in control. God's not a force. God's not a spiritual force of my life trying to make me sober. Even though so many times I would say, just make me sober. God's not going to force me. God's a loving power, which I have to tap into daily. And then I'm gifted another day of sobriety. So anyway, have fun with these chips.
have fun, ask God for fun if you're not having too much fun. <laughs> ask him for grace to help you get through these things. Yeah. Hey, let's give Eric another big round of applause. Thank you. One of the things we try to do at this conference is uh, we have a debrief at 1230 today, and then we take that information and, and we try to add it to the next year or try to make it better. So we wanted to add a workshop to the meeting, to the conference issue. Uh, we wanted to add a panel for the 20-something group. We did that this year. So each year we're, we're trying to make it better. And uh, so, so grateful for Eric to do that. Did you guys see the talent show last night? Okay, okay, okay. There's a couple of standouts was the violinist is Luke around. He's not, man. He was amazing. A card play, card player right back here. Man, he was amazing, wasn't he? But all the folks there, he couldn't care. Let's get in and grab the plot. So the next session is the old timers panel. And uh, Marcus is going to be uh, the MC during it from California. And he'll tell you a little bit about himself. The speakers, if you guys want to start coming up here, Kevin C. from Florida, Kevin K. from Ohio, Steve P. from Kansas, Stephen from Florida, uh, Steve O. from Florida, and Karen from uh, Florida as well. Y'all right here, come on up to the tables. Thank you. We have four five. Okay. Oh, there she is. Oh, you want the podium out of the way? Oh, walking the table. Oh. Tom, you want it uh, like this? Out of the way? Okay, okay. okay. I've got I don't know. Here you go. <laughs> Eric, do you mind keeping time for us? I can't. What's the uh, parameters here? We're going to do, uh, when we get to the questions, it'll be two minutes. Two minutes each? Yes. And if you just want to start howling like a wolf, or no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 
the two minutes you just put up the sign. Yeah. Uh, be good. Yes. Thank you, sir. All right. Good morning. My name is Marcus. Uh, grateful SAS and on member. Um, really grateful to MC the old timers panel. In, in the Anon programs, we call it long timers panel. So I prefer that. Um, don't want to say things in age. So we have a couple questions here that we had. I had a couple other people that had some questions out. I'm not sure did everybody get their questions in that had one. I just want to do a last call. Yeah, okay, that's fine. All right, so why don't we go ahead and get started? Before we get to the questions, I'd like to introduce each of the panel members. I would just, there's only one microphone for all three of you. So we'll start on this end. And if you just want to state um, what program you're in, your sobriety date, or when you came in, and just a little bit about yourself, we'll just keep it real short um, so we can get to the questions. All right. All right. All right. Hi, my name is Kevin Speedy. I am a Dutchaholic. And my sobriety date is 2013. Uh, I'm like a, like a kid that's maybe five, and I'm telling you I'm six, but really I'm in my 10th year as well. Hey, I got caught, just like a lot of people, and I'm uh, glad it was a place to go because I didn't stop right away. But I kept going to meeting. I have probably passed out since then. A good operation. Thank you for you guys to be here today. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, my name is Steve O, and I'm from Florida here. I'm going to Chicago, and um, sober since April the 3rd of 2013. Um, I guess I'm an old timer. <laughs> old timer. And uh, yeah, I was dating a woman of my dreams, and she said, I gotta get help if we were ever gonna get married. And so that's what I did. One guy in the room was my first call up, up in Chicago. And um, so I'm grateful to him, grateful to be here, grateful to be asked, and grateful for all of you. Thank you. I am Karen Kay, and, uh, and I have to say, in this, uh, we uh, we get cleaner years because we don't have a sobriety date. Why don't you give a sobriety date? I must not be up here. <laughs> but um, my first meeting, and that's an online. Uh, the July conference in Nashville, Tennessee in 1993, and um, I was on the verge of uh, my second marriage, whom, to whom it, uh, I knew was a sexaholic, and uh, I've been in another recovery program for about six years, and I thought I could handle this. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I am still married to the same lovely gentleman, and I have um, stayed very active in these programs for all these years as well. And um, I just can't imagine life without me. Met so many wonderful people. I have met God here, and um, I'm really glad to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. Hey everybody, I'm Kevin from Ohio. Um, I'm gratefully recovering Essendon. 
and I've been in the program since February of 2018. So five years. And um, I'm just grateful to be uh, married to a woman who struggles with sex and love addiction because it has brought me here. And uh, I am a much better man since I got in recovery. And she's the one who got me in recovery. She's not why I'm still in recovery. But uh, I'm very grateful to have met her and gone through that with her past. Thanks, Kevin. I'm Steve from Wichita, Kansas. And I'm a sexaholic. Sometimes I say I'm a sexaholic and my problem is Steve, this guy right here. Uh, you see me a little earlier, I found that do not touch sign up here and I put it on my chest. I, well, maybe I better not wear that up here because I like to be touched. But, uh, my life is uh, in a real mess. Started out being molested and raped, and, uh, and that turned me into sexual doing with girls and uh, touching girls. And uh, I got saved and then did good for a while. I found I had a very spiritual life. Got discouraged and fell back into my addictions. And I'm addicted to about every character defect, almost. So here you get an idea. And uh, then I. Uh, Got back into the got into the program, and uh, my life has changed. And almost committed suicide eight times, been in prison, and uh, a lot more. I've learned a lot from people. <clears throat> like a some tape, the guy told me before I went to prison, he said, "If I'd listen and not turn people off, I'd he can hear God could talk through them, even if they were atheists and agnostics." And I've had him tell me all. I've had them cuss me out, and I found out that if I listen, even though they wasn't mad, I can learn something from there. I don't have to get angry anymore because of 551 and 552 debate is about resentments. How bad is it? Or Steven, so I'm the third Steven out here. Hi, <laughs> <I> Steven. <laughs> so I call myself Steven with a PH. Kevin asked me to be on this panel. I don't think I'm a whole time. You know, I'm, I've only got two years in this program. And, uh, but I never say no to a request. That's what I was told when I first got into recovery. And, um, Certainly got more than some people and less than a lot of people. So I'll just come up here and uh, appreciate being asked and I'm grateful to be asked about it. I don't know if I said my sobriety date is 12 12 of 2002. Thanks, Steve, with the V. All right, before we get to the questions, um, why don't we say a quick serenity prayer to invite a higher power? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know their difference. All right. Um, so this is for the essay panelists. This is a question. Um, it says, I'm about to become a sponsor uh, for the first time. Any pointers or literature 
to help me prepare. Well, here I am again. I'm Steve, and I'm still in recovery. I haven't graduated yet. You didn't get that diploma that guy was talking about. Uh, I'll tell you what. I've had trouble with Ponzi's, and I've had trouble with mentoring from prison in prison because some of them don't want to take them take my advice. And uh, mostly, I take and tell them to call me. Try to call me every day, five days a week. You don't have to do it Saturday and Sunday, but at least try to call me. And then uh, I tell them that uh, the first three steps is the most important. And even though we haven't got to them, I can't handle this, God, whatever the problem is. You can, you can, I know you can help me, and please help me, and I mean it. And you can do say that fast over in God in two seconds. And ask him for help, but he'll help you. And I t- that's one of the things I tell my kids, my people. And if, if they'll take it, grant it. But see, I almost killed myself. And the last time, uh, I was right there inside of 20 minutes. And I didn't cut myself or I hanged myself with what I was going to do in prison. And uh, God stopped me because I, I kept hearing the devil's voices trying to tell me that I was not worth it and all this stuff. And how my family would be better off if I killed myself and I would be better. No, no, no. You're going to have three hours. But that's when God spoke up and said, take it, when are you going to forgive yourself? And I said, I don't know how. And that's a hard problem. So I said, okay, uh, how do I do this? And he says, just take and do the first three steps on it every time the thought comes. And I've been through the first five steps in AA and SA in prison with AA sponsors. And those first three, and I found that it don't matter how bad it is or what it is, if it's a problem, if it's a negative thought, I can take and do that real fast and ask God. Even if the guy's right there in front of me cussing me out because of something, I can take and do that. Ask God. Go on. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Steve-o. Um, Steve-o. <laughs> I can remember uh, feeling goofy about sponsoring someone else and not feeling capable of doing so. And um, my sponsor said, wait till you get a year, wait till you're done with your fourth and fifth step. And so that's what we did. And sure enough, someone had just asked me. And so it's kind of, you know, the timing was right there. I was pushed into it. But um, so that and uh, I basically sponsor others the way that I have been sponsored. So I ask them to call me every day and make a meeting or two every week, read a page of literature every day, we're going to work on the steps, we try it for 30 days to see if this, you know, if both parties like the agreement. Um, I also come from the St. Teresa Holy Innocence meeting up in Chicago. We have a three-strike rule, so if a sponsee breaks their sobriety three times, typically that relationship will be over. Um, it's very helpful for me as a sponsor because, you know, once they have a slip, I give all my suggestions and recommendations to help them. And then if they slip again and they don't take those, well, then, you know, I kind of either repeat my message or try to figure out maybe where their blind spots are. 
And then at the third time, it's like it's just not working. And so um, it's very helpful. There's no shame involved with you know anything. I helped them find a new sponsor. Um, I'm on my second sponsor because I fired myself the first time. And um, uh, so just, yeah, I, I would say if you're asking the question, you know, you're probably ready to sponsor. Uh, Kevin C. That's a holiday. It's about building a relationship. For 30 days, I usually don't go over steps or anything with them. I want to see if they make the commitment to call me every day. Because uh, I remember what I was like thinking at that stage of my development was like a baby in a box car. It was just all over the place. <laughs> and I needed some direction. <laughs> and uh, so I've had two sponsors. Uh, one uh, got a girlfriend, and his sponsor told him that he can no longer sponsor an essay program. And uh, so he had to let me go. And then I was astray for a while. And, and uh, the guy came up to me and said, You got a sponsor? I said, I'm in between. I don't know. <laughs> he said, well, I'll be your sponsor. And uh, here today, I'm grateful to him. You know, I always got A, B, and C plans. And I call my sponsor, and he comes up with D. I thought, oh, man, no. <laughs> and I think of that. You know, it's so simple. But just talking to it. Uh, I don't believe in uh, firing anybody personally. I'm in AA as well. Had a guy get out of person that I was sponsoring. He was going back to prison again for six years. He gets out and he says, Are you still my sponsor? And I said, As far as I know, I just didn't know where you went. You know? <laughs> I thought, Thank you. Okay. Uh, this is uh, for the Essanon panelists. Um, my significant other has multiple addictions. Do I get multiple sponsors or choose just one, like Al-Anon or Essanon? Do I just choose one sponsor if my spouse has multiple addictions? Well, I don't know that I've ever directly faced that situation, but I would have to say that it's typical that um, there's more than one issue within a sexaholism relationship. Um, and uh, sometimes, sometimes the other things are, are immediate things to work on, like safety. Um, uh, SNIs, I don't know if, if it happens in SA sponsorships, but I've dealt with quite a few women in countries that are really not safe in their environment and didn't really realize that they were exposing themselves to dangerous situations. And um, in that sense, that was me as well. Um, my first husband, I now know, I didn't know while I was married that he was a sexaholic as well. And he was physically and sexually abusive. And I left for the, the physical abuse. Um, but I didn't even realize the nature of the sexual, sexual abuse until I came to these meetings and heard it described. And I thought, oh my God, that's what was happening. <laughs> that wasn't appropriate. And so 
really, um, <laughs> I, I kind of agree that the first, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me to sponsor them, call me once and never call back, or send a text every three weeks and think of me as their son. And I struggle with that a little bit. I try to say up front, you need to call me at least once or twice a week, preferably more. You need to be reading, reading your literature. And uh, I feel like the initiative comes from them, is what I'm saying. I set the boundaries, and then the follow-up has to come from them. Most of the sponsors that I stop seeing faded into the world. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Read the question again. Yes. <laughs> question was, do you just need one sponsor if your spouse has multiple addictions? Yeah. Yes, Kevin. Um, that's an interesting question because I've never had to face that situation. Um, but I was, as I think about it, I think if my wife or someone else in my family was struggling with another addiction and sexaholism, would I get a sponsor in that other Anon program? I would hope I would at least consider it. And and I just, I say that because it, it took me a year and a half, I was so stubborn, <laughs> to even consider Essendon. Um, and so I, I would hope that I wouldn't wait that long again to at least try another program, uh, Al-Anon or whatever it would be. Um, because I think it depends on what kind of recovery I want, regardless of what my, regardless of what the other person's struggles are, it depends on do I want to get help for that for me, and um, so that's the one lesson I've learned from the one addiction I faced with my wife was uh, not to try to do it on my own. It didn't work. Stephen. That's another thing. Um, from my point of view, I've been in Ethanol for two years, but I've been in recovery for eight um, in another program. And of all the sponsors I've worked with, uh, I don't know any of them that haven't had other issues or addictions. Um, so once you get into the steps and you get into the board, the building surface. So from my point of view, um, my suggestion would be get through the steps with your first sponsor first. And it's difficult enough to get all the way through 12 steps without getting a second sponsor and then starting over in a different program. So that would be my viewpoint on that. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. All right, uh, question. Um, this could be for both for both sides. Um, I'll, I'll change the question a little bit. The question is, what do you do when you slip in the program? So for the SNON panelists, maybe define what a slip in SNON is for you and what you do when you slip. And then for the SA panelists, um, what do you do with sponsees who slip and if you've slipped in the past? Yeah, 
I forgot to say, there's a book that we have an essay called Step Into Thinking. I mean, Step Into Action. Let me say this is uh, the seats we took. These are the steps we took. Sorry, Slips are inevitable. Yeah, it's not mandatory. When somebody has this, I take it back to step one. You know, I hear other people go, I, I had a slip, but I'm on step 11. And it's like the gentleman down here, one, two, three, it's the concrete, it's the foundation. If something was missing, if I go back out, um, there's absolutely something that I'm missing in step one, two, and three. And two, which is usually the one I come back to because I'm insane and I need to think correctly. Uh, I, I try to not, I don't judge, you know, I just say, you know, forgive yourself. And, you know, we're not judging you. And you've got plenty of support for yourself. Now, what I do get uh, annoyed by is, you know, the guy's supposed to be a greater, he doesn't show up. So somebody else has to take his spot. So he's not doing his part for God to perform a miracle. And like you guys said, that I always say yes to an essay request that really vital. And I've seen God put people together that I just can't even imagine. A millionaire with the, the guy from the ghetto. You know, it's just God puts us together. And but the guy that's looking for a sponsor, just pray for a sponsor. That's what I was going to They will appear. Thank you. Steve Um I've had a few slips and uh, I did what my sponsor would tell me to do. Um, and what many others that I would check in with regularly with guys. Um, I would journal often, um, looking at, you know, how did this slip happen? Because some were at eight months, ten months, you know, that was painful. I wanted to hit that year mark. Um, you know, after one slip, I said, someone said you should get a sponsor. So that, that when I got sponsors. Um, you know. So, uh, yeah, but, but in journaling, it's how did I get to this place where I said it was okay to act out, and then what am I going to do differently the next time I'm in this situation? And that's what I like to probably came unplugged. Is that better? Yeah. I was just going to say, when others slip that I'm working with, I'm always advising them to look at what they can learn from you, because chances are you're going to be in a very similar situation again. You're going to get frustrated, you're going to get tempted, you're, you're going to feel vulnerable, you're going to be alone. You know. And how are you going to handle that? You know, what, what will it look like differently? Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Uh, I think it's a difficult question for us. And uh, I think that um, emotional sobriety is where we're, at, where we're looking for. And I don't think that anyone with a great deal of maturity in the program and identify a slip in themselves. If I was to have a sponsor call me and I was to say, you have a slip, and they were fairly new in the program, they wouldn't know what the heck I'm talking about. Um, I, I find myself saying, well, what's this feel like? He was going on with you, that kind of thing. 
In the beginning, we deal a lot with this idea of disclosure and um, snooping and um, following the sex addict around. And this can go on for, in a new estimate, for a long time. And um, to me, that's clearly a loss of sobriety, but they don't know what sobriety is. <laughs> so um, it takes a, a, a while to uh, explain to an SNM what sobriety is. They need to observe it, and um, and the the need is sponsored very much to affirm that this is sober behavior. This is wonderful. You seem so much more relaxed, and and uh, I think this just whole thing is a little bit harder with SNMs. Um, you can convey uh, that that you're there, and I think that more comes from inside of them. I'm looking at a few people I know here who've been here a long time, and they would say, "Oh man, I've been in a slip last week." But they know about it. They know what serene is. They know what getting out of their addicts stuff is. So thank you. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Karen. It's Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Um, for me, I think a slip is uh, in Essanon, in my emotional sobriety, is when uh, my thinking takes me into any kind of wanting to control, manage, fix, ask a bunch of questions, um, be over in my wife's side of the street, wondering all sorts of things, um, believing, attending to a any number of anxieties and fears that my mind's producing when there's no evidence of anything going on, um, when my serenity is disturbed, and when things, when I'm not able to let things bounce off of me as easily, it's a slip. For me, a, a relapse in my, in my emotional sobriety is when those, that kind of thinking actually sticks around, I let it stick around long enough that it starts to tell me to take certain actions like I used to during the beginning period of abstinence I had, which was almost four years um, with my wife. Um, the relapse would be when I would get so far in my thinking, I would say, uh, unless she's going to be physically, sexually intimate with me again soon, I think maybe I'll start pursuing divorce. That was a relapse for me. Um, the slip was the beginning of the, the thoughts of me, my mind. Um, I deserve. I'm entitled. Um, just focusing all sorts of things on how much I'm a victim because I'm not getting. So uh, for me, the emotional slips are one thing that relapses. Being so far gone that I'm going to take some kind of action that's not going to be good for me or healthy for me or, or anyone around me. Thanks, Kevin. I'll repeat the question for Steve. I know it's defining uh, it. So the essay question was, you know, if you have slipped, what have you done? When you have sponsees who slip, what have you suggested? Okay. Sorry. 
There you go. I'm Steve and I'm a I'm Steve P. That's the technical difficulty. I'm about to have a slip, Steve. I'm about to have a slip. Stop. All right, go ahead, Steve. I wanted to wear this shirt so people would notice me, but I think he got more attention. Okay, let's get back into the question here. Uh, I was a professional slipper, <laughs> so I can give good advice on slipping. It says here in uh, 191, how, under the sobriety definition in essay book, how can we consider ourselves sober if we still resort to whatever or whomsoever we're using addictively to whatsoever? No, okay, I've yeah, I, I've already re I read it out of my mind and finished it. And uh, I came to the gr essay group in 1990 for nine, ten months, and I couldn't keep even two weeks. Uh, I thought I did the first three steps of the night. Maybe eight weeks I'd be done. And uh, it didn't work out that way because I couldn't keep even two weeks. And uh, one day I came in and uh, and uh, the guys next to me told me he could smell that I'd masturbated on the way or partly or whatever. He says, you know, even just starting or whatever, touching yourself inappropriately is still a slip. And I go, oh, that goes along with that now. I've realized that. And uh, I have some habitual slippers still that in my group that... Uh, Seems like they can get a month or they can get three months or whatever. Uh, that's about as good. And uh, I just tell them to keep using that as another step up the ladder. See what you did wrong. But look at what was going on right before it. That's the most important thing. I mean, I get depressed over I get depressed over a lot of different things, and I can find those depressions. I'm addicted to depressions, okay. I just thought of that. Yeah, my time is up. How about that? Okay. Say that because I think it's a good thing when anybody starts to figure out when my body was off. As an ethanol finishes. Getting fewer times that I actually lose my sobriety, <laughs> but it does happen. Uh, in my other program, someone once told me that uh, lift is something you do on a rug. What he meant by that is that slips can be taken very lightly, uh, and or they can be taken seriously. And if someone takes a split seriously, um, they are rigorously honest with themselves and others, admit their fault, and move on and try not to do it again. If it becomes a really hidden, secretive thing, then I think it moves into a relapse. That's how I view it. 
And um, I'm very capable of having a relapse in, as an Essendon in my emotional sobriety if I lose it, get angry, resentful, and don't take care of it right away. My program teaches me how to do that. Uh, and if I don't use the tools of my program, it becomes a relapse that I feel like things. Can I add something as an Essendon? Not a question. Uh, we're just doing the panelists for now. Okay. Um, if you have a question, I think there are some. Uh, no, it wasn't a question. I wanted to add about flip on that. Okay. If you want to maybe come up to them afterward and maybe talk with them after. Okay. All right. So our next question. Um, this is for both SA and Essanon. So we'll start back over here. I realize we have two Kevins and two Stevens. That's beautiful. Um, so for both SA and SNON, at what point in your recovery did you realize, hey, this thing works? It really does. I would change it a little bit to say, when do you feel you had a spiritual awakening? Could you repeat the question? Yeah. Repeat the question. The question? Yes. It said, at what point in your recovery did you realize that this thing actually works? When did you have your spiritual awakening? Uh, Kevin, Steve, uh, I was hooked off with a friend of mine uh, when I was actually outside, selecting out at this point. And, uh, he was a good friend in AA, and uh, actually, I was supposed to be a sponsor. <laughs> and I said, Bill, can I tell you something that I've never told anybody else? And he said, Kevin, I can't think of anything less of you than I already do. Believe me not, that prompted me to want to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a former pastor, and he said, Kevin, you have to get a candle on this fight. This is your your way out there, you know. <laughs> and it was another time when I was still acting out. And my AA sponsor and my wife were sitting in the driveway with that drove away to act out. And he looked at my wife and he said, He's had the best track to self-destruction. <laughs> Boy, you know, I thought, you know, my father never lied to me for 15 years. Why would he lie now? Those are thoughts that happened before sober. And I believe God has, has had other signs to me every day if I'm watching for him or listening for him. And that's where I struggle. Uh, even if awful, going like that for 24 hours. <laughs> Uh, that's all I can say is that, you know, I can't tell you the date either with sobriety, you know, I can tell you the date that I stopped. That's it. Thanks, Kevin. Steve, I was sexaholic. Um, Steve. Yeah, I, I would act out many times a week and wanted, actually wanted to get better for a couple, maybe four or five years i wanted to be done with this but i couldn't I, I could not figure out how i love the there's a guy in chicago that was fond of saying this that he would share but i think it's also in the white book that 
I stopped a thousand times, but the problem was I could never stay stopped. And I could never stay stopped on my own. And so when I got into the program, I was very nervous. And uh, uh, it, it just, it seemed like there was hope after the first night there was hope. Because people had years of sobriety. And even though I didn't really know what that meant, kept coming back and kept going back. And um, it was almost like the miracle was just happening every week. And and um, so, I, you know, I had slips along the way, like I said, but um, been committed the whole time. And uh, so it's, I think I just realized it worked pretty soon after I got into the program. And um, yeah, personally, getting a week of sobriety, two weeks of sobriety, a month of sobriety, this was a miracle. So, um, this never happened by myself alone. So, you know, that was one spiritual awakening early on, but it, it's also been filled with a lot of very neat experiences along the way that have kind of enriched it all. So, thank you. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I also had uh, been recovering another program before I um, met this program. And uh, I had had a wonderful year of courtship from my husband. And uh, we had a date to get married. And about halfway through that year, he told me that he was a sex addict and he was going back to his meeting. Uh, okay. Um, I guess I know a little bit about recovery programs. and. That seems like a good thing for you. I kind of detached myself from that um, because of our faith tradition and, and, and just kind of in the program, we were abstinent while we were dating. And um, uh, so I, I really, you know, we didn't really have too much issue. Well, I came, he suggested, and I thank him for that today, that he suggested before we actually took the step. We would go see a little bit about what this is about. So I came to the Nashville Convention in July. And we were going to get married in August. So I kind of waited until the last minute. I have to tell you, I was in shock. I was in shock. I had heard about recovery. Now, granted, he would probably say that I grew up in a Catholic home and I had pretty traditional values, and I didn't think about some of this junk. But some of the stuff I heard just blew my socks off. <laughs> I just sat there and just in amazing women catching up there and talking about my lesbian boys. Oh my, what have I gotten into here? And I remember, I don't want to spend a long time, but I remember going to lunch with my husband after it was over because we didn't spend that much time together. And he said, well, what do you think? Well, how do you think it's going to be for us? And I said, you know what? You have not been on my mind for the last three days. What <laughs> 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 you have been on my mind for the last three days is the sewer of my adult life. And I realized maybe not very much about it, but I knew I'd lived it. 
And I was early, just 40, 41 or something, we got married. And I looked at the guys I dated and all the stuff, and I just went, oh my God, I'm like, this whole blank in me about this problem. And this has been my real problem, honestly. And I'm very, very grateful for being here. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Karen. Karen. Um, yeah, I think I started to know that this that ethanol worked for me um, when I started. I started feeling better. I started noticing things um, about myself. This is in front of me from our, our workshop this morning. I have written humility, patience, trust. Courage, and um, those things. When I started seeing those more in me, I knew it was working. Uh, when I started realizing that I was actually on this planet to live my life and not through someone else's life, that's when I knew it was working. When I stopped obsessing about other people, um, I knew it was working. And then when I got feedback from uh, my kids, do you remember when you used to be so angry? I knew it was working. When I got feedback from my wife that um, it's okay if she talks a lot about her day with me when we're taking a walk and it's not too much for me, Kevin, you know, um, it's not too much for me. She she doesn't need to be quiet because she's being too loud or something. When I when I got the feedback from her that um, she could trust me with things and I wouldn't criticize and find fault and ask a million more questions, I knew S and I was working for me. So that's my answer. Thanks, Catherine. I'm Steve P. And uh, I think I found it when I started getting sober. I took it back. I'm back to the slipper top because of uh, I, I took it. Uh, besides, uh, I had uh, several months before I went to prison. I had ten months was the biggest I got in prison. Six months later, and uh, then after prison, and then nineteen months. So now I clear up to twenty years. But uh, I take it every time I go to sleep, before I go to sleep, I thank God for telling me today, he can be sober and clean. And I ask him to keep me sober and clean for the next day, but then I go in and talk to ask him again in the morning. And it just seems like it's, it's every time I made another day. You know, I'm not working on two weeks, six months, or what I'm just a day. And I, I just, oh, it's good. And then once in a while, somebody says, well, you know, you should have been better, a lot better than what you used to be. And, oh, you know, I, I like those compliments. I was a star for compliments. And I was oh, just a thank you with good because I'm going pay attention since I left on my example. And before I quit, I got a, we got a, on the thing, on the internet, there was a dog picture, and I love dogs. So let me say something to him. <laughs> 
Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. spiritual awakening in both my original AA program and the Essendon at the same time. And that was pretty much as prescribed in the big book. Um, I did my fifth step and admitted to God myself and turned out to be human being the exact nature of my wrong. The book says to go home, take the book off the shelf, and read through the first five steps, see where you are. If you've done a good job, the obsession will be lifted. That's when it happened for me. And that's when also I had a real spiritual awakening that the obsession in Ethanon is still being investigated research and uh, any control over my my essay um, was removed. I won't say it never came back, but the obsession was removed. And I think that's why I could identify as a spiritual Thank you. Thanks, Steve. All right. Um, I want to ask a question of my own here. I don't see any in the box. What does your relationship with your higher power look like today versus when you first came in? And how, what does your relationship with the higher power look like today? And how do you maintain that relationship? I was uh, given a cancer stage four diagnosis in July, and uh, I'm taking both Eastern and Western medicine to try to keep it abstinent. And when I was getting uh, acupuncture the other day, the uh, doctor you're on a different path today. It's just you and God. And dry out. And, uh, and I realized that, you know, my spirituality is going to change. Uh, so what I do is I try to avoid a quiet time now. I try not to look the steps and yell at God. And uh, I go through the five stages I learned in the 12-step program. And I can't get stuck in one. I can't go from one to the next. Just like people grieve, and uh, so I have, I have to double my efforts. Point really. Whenever I'm feeling down, I always suggest to my clients, "Please take my advice. I'm not abusing you." But <laughs> it's progress, not perfection, right? I am a spiritual guy. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Steve Fixaholic. I would say my relationship with my higher power is always a work in progress and um, just trying to deepen it every day. And, um, you know, my religious background, um, you know, I'm religious coming into the program, but sometimes our book says that that can be a book or two books. That can, that can be a negative thing because it's almost a baggage you can bring in. And so, at any rate, um, 
yeah, working on the relationship with my higher power and have been, and uh, certainly prayer and quiet time helps. I do struggle to listen. Um, to speak, Lord, your servant is listening. But that's that's very long stuff. Um, yeah, it's a work in progress, but it's um, always trying to make it better. So. This is a, uh, this is an essence of the program issue for me. Um, I think I started these programs believing that I was God, that I been sufficiently educated and experienced in life, and I knew how to handle my problem. I didn't really need God. Um, I like Kevin. I've had cancer three times. I have to say. Humbling myself to know that God wants me. And other things. I guess I want to say that my deepest and closest relationship with God has been, oh, there's a word for it, when you're on the precipice of the cliff. When I can no longer deal with my reality as it is. And I give up. I surrender entirely myself. And I can't always get there because I want to take it back. But my husband left me for a year and a half in the course of our long marriage now. I cried every day. I talked to people every day. And I knew it wasn't the right thing me, but I also knew much pain, a long-standing marriage to recovery, that's all it had been. And I had to reach out to others to use their spiritual life when mine languished. And I've said that to others who struggle. Take my God. He's good. He's powerful. Um, what I want to do, what helps is to have a structured, intentional time and place to meet with God. I like church. I like my morning devotion. I can't do the night ones very well. I'm too tired. Um, but I also want to bring my, my God today is in my absolute everything I do. I process it through that. I talked to him just as a, a force with me. The force is with me and helping me, not always to do the exact That's the God that really, really helps me today. But having had a lot of low points in my life, I have to say that that gave me the memory to say, God, you took me through three episodes of cancer. You can do this. Probably piggyback on half of what Karen said. For me, I think um, one of the biggest things about my relationship with my higher power that's changed since I got in recovery has been um, seeing, experiencing the incredibly difficult situations in life as something my higher power is putting there for a reason 
and trusting that that would be clear to me at some point. And that's been incredibly helpful for the, the, the fear, anxiety. Um, we had to deal with um, stalking for quite a while from my um, wife's acting out partner for years. And we had to deal with so the theme of stalking in my story. We had to deal with stalking from a situation uh, with my son and the system and all sorts of terrible things that happen. And I think the, the thing that really had shifted for me since the program was in those situations, as painful as they were, I just kept trying to touch the... the the fact that my higher power put these situations in my life for a reason. And I don't have to know that right now. And I can trust that I will at some point know. And um, that I can surrender them. And I'll be okay. Um, my sponsor told me early on to start praying for, my, um, for this stalker that my wife had acted out with. Um, and for several years, I did that every day. I decided to start my prayers each day, praying for that person first and later for the, the stalker in my son's life and in our family's life second. And then I prayed for uh, the else I loved in my family. And um, it really made a difference. It helped me stay sober and free of resentment. So daily connection and Staying out of victim mentality has been something my relationship with my higher power has really helped me with. I'm Steve. I haven't graduated. I haven't recovered either. Uh, this is a good question, but you asked it, so I've got to answer it truthfully, okay? Uh, I was in the pits. I couldn't stand myself, couldn't be around myself suicidal and everything else when I came into this program. And uh, I had a close relationship with God before that. But after I got into here and started getting sober and getting hope that there, I could be better, and hearing people say that they got so many years, so many, you know, sober, my life started changing. I started reading my Bible more. I started reading recovery almost in Bible and recovery every day. And then I found one little book. This is not approved by things, but it's a little Catholic monk. Brother Lawrence says, practice the presence of God. And I'll tell you, that's made a life-changing deal to me. I used it when I had I read it before when I was younger. But now I read it about every day, at least a page, to keep me in that presence. And I don't pray anymore. I just fellowship with God. It's more fun. And sometimes, I, I, even though I've got ADHD, sometimes I just lay back in a chair and just talk to him for a while. Nothing on my mind, nothing else. Not asking for nothing. Just being in a relationship. And that's great. And then when I have a problem, I know that one, two, three is going to work because he's right there on line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, 
My relationship with my higher power, and I'm not going to be judgmental, but it goes back to my religious upbringing. upbringing. I was I was raised as a Catholic, and there were two questions that I always remember from first grade. I think it was the Baltimore Catechism they called it. And the question was, "Who is God?" And the answer was, "God is love." And if they just would have stopped there. I wouldn't have had all the problems that I've had in my life. <laughs> and again, I'm not being judgmental, but when I was taught that the God of my understanding is that it's a God that's judgmental, he's punishing, he's going to get you if you do something wrong, didn't work for me for many years of my life. So I've adopted a God that is love. My God does not live out there. My God lives in here. He's everywhere. That means he's not in only in me, he's in you. If everyone has God in them, then who am I to judge God? That doesn't mean I'm God. It means I'm that close to have a relationship with my higher power. He's that close. And if I just keep with God, is love. And God is everywhere as love. My world is a better place. That's my relationship with my Thank you. All right, we're we're wrapping up. We got fifteen minutes. I think we have time for two more questions. Um, and this is for the Essanon panelists. Um, in Essanon, I struggle with take what you want and leave the rest. When I hear everyone saying something I disagree with. When do I know whether to share my ex my experience, strength? When do I know when to share or shut up? <laughs> For the astronaut man. Probably one of the greatest things that I've learned from these programs is how to listen. And I'm still not very good at it. I mean, I like to talk a words person uh, for my career, all of it. I love to talk. Uh, not necessarily in things like this, but I mean, learning to listen and just hear someone out in a non-judgmental way has been one of the greatest gifts of this program. And when a person tells me I can't do that, okay. I mean, I, I don't argue with anybody, um, but I do try to, the program tells us to the only advice I give is program advice, spiritual advice, slogans, um, you know, things that, well, the program says, or I might tell an experience in my life where I use the program principle, but I try to stay out of my, my advice, and it's hard sometimes, and so I don't know what else to say except that... I have grown increasingly compassionate with the suffering of both SA and SNN as they relay their craziness. I, I, I can't, uh, I gotta be supportive even if it, what I'm hearing is not. Um, <laughs> My own home. <laughs> 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 Please help me. Um, but uh, 
learning good. Just be quiet and let it be and let God take care of it. Really, what's helping? Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Karen. Kevin, I'll speak on this because I, I just spoke on it yesterday when we were some friends that I used that phrase, take what you want and leave the rest, as a not very thinly veiled way to just keep playing God. It prevented me from, you know, saying, well, I don't think I need a sponsor. Um, it prevented me from getting into a program for a year and a half after I could have started. It prevented me from all sorts of things about sharing at meetings because I was saying in my mind, well, this is what works for me, but this part doesn't. It kept me terminally unique. It kept me just playing God. So I think there's a place for it, but for me, I couldn't even consider that phrase as helpful until I um, got past step five and figured out a little bit about humility. Thanks, Kevin. Really quickly for the question. Put it away, I'm sorry. Uh, the question was about... Um, you want to take the rest. Yeah. I struggle with take what you want and leave the rest. And when do I know when to share or shut up? Uh, well, I'll bring the second part because I only must know what's in my mind. I don't know what's in anybody else's mind unless they tell me. So that means I gotta shut up and listen. Uh, my thoughts and I have a practice that when we are doing our meetings or are sharing something, that the other person doesn't say anything. So the other person is finished. And then all they say when the person is finished is thank you. That's it. That's a rule, and we live by it. Um, it keeps us into listening and really trying to hear most of my problem, and I guess a lot of people's problems is I am listening not to understand, but I'm listening to how I'm going to respond. Well, if I don't have to respond, I have better chance for this. So that's really all I have to say. Thanks, Stephen. And we have a question from the Zoom rooms. Thanks for all the questions there. Um, this is for the essay panelists. How do you make space for women in meetings and encourage them to keep coming back? What benefits have you found to having and attending mixed meetings for your own recovery? For the essay panelists. How do you make space for women in meetings and encourage them to keep coming back? Sarasota is a good example. They took a vote, they did a group conscious, and all of a sudden all these newcomers raised their hand. And uh, I realized the importance of the traditions and how you need to have officers for a group, which I was once an officer at that meeting, and, and I want to run away from that meeting because it's, uh, it makes me bad when I leave. <laughs> The shared parts about the stature and works and stuff. They all have sponsors. So that's a problem. There's got to be a solution. And we're working on it by having regular home group meetings. 
that we can discuss things like this and realize when I started, it was the same way. The black said, hey, guys, the women are in there, you're not going. Okay? And uh, it's fear. It's fear. And I finally come to the conclusion, it's not, you know, the political parties anymore. It's about faith and fear. People of faith, fear. And uh, I choose to live in faith. And that's, uh, there's a lot of scared people around. They say that when we come into SA as men, we're scared little boys. And that's so true. Scared little boys that try to grow up. Um, that's all I have to Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. And, uh, thanks for the question. I'm also in the Sarasota group that um, has a problem with women. Basically, <laughs> 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 I'm not one of them. Uh, <laughs> you know, the essay purpose says that Sexaholics Anonymous is a program for men and women. And um, I believe it's a principle of anonymity that we don't disclose who's in the meetings. So a healthy meeting has men and women, and we don't share what goes on in the meeting. And um, I encourage the women to keep coming back. I can recall when I was up in Chicago, um, I was invited to go to dinner before meetings. <laughs> so we go to Panera Bread or Noodles and Company, and I saw a few of the guys that I knew, and then there was this woman. So, well, who's that? You know, and, oh, that's so and so. She's in our program. I said, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> it, it was, it, it, you know, I, I just grew up around it in the program and uh, nothing to be afraid of. Like Kevin said, they need help too. Would you not help someone that needs help? So, um, yeah, with that, I'll finish. Excuse me. I just want to quickly take yes uh, perspective on this. Um, we had, um, I've always had men, okay, men, one, in, in many of the SNI meetings that I've gone to. And we've always sort of struggled with that, but we always let it be. And after a short time, you realize they're the same. And they're the same. And I have to come. The reason I want to take the microphone is I want to compliment the people that put this conference together. All these male estonians are just sheer delight. <laughs> I'm Stephen. Yeah, exactly. My problem is still Stephen. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, this is a difficult question because we have no women we haven't had any women in our group for probably 15 years now but a woman and a man started our group something like 30 some years ago and uh, she was a great woman and she took and came and uh it bothered me at times because she let her hair down and she was a mess some, a lot of times. And I, I told her, I said, I'd even buy you, pay for it if you want to get your hair fixed. And she said, no, I don't want people, men to be attracted to me. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, she had problems and she knew it. And she, but I, I didn't have problems with the women in the men group. 
because we there's so many similarities. That's what they told me to look for the similarities, and there's so many similarities. And I see it in the Essanons too. I see the similarities with me. I have went to Essanon for about a year at one time, but we don't have that neither. And I, I kind of miss it. So I go to my OA group, and uh, I know we're talking about other groups, but OA, and I'm the only man. And uh, they put up with me great. And <laughs> most of them are, are older women. And I take and tell them, I, anybody under 30, I don't want to hug. That's just because of my past, and I don't tell them that. But uh, otherwise, you know, I don't lust anymore, neither. I look at the hair, and I look at those crazy stockings. Oh, I love them things. But I keep telling my wife, I like to have a pair of those, you know. And, okay, some of them go clear for the waist. But she says, no, no. I see. Okay, so can you put the timer to one minute? I have one last question. A lot of the questions are about relapse and self-acceptance and how you deal with that. Um, and then there's a question in the Zoom chat that I want to just, it says, how do you, how does the disease model play into this? And so just want to say, maybe you have time for two shares. We have a hard stop at 945. Um, how did you start to see sexaholism as a disease? And how do you, how did you relate that to sponsors? Uh, I, I saw it as a disease, just like alcoholism, and I saw that at the end it's a dead end. And uh, <laughs> but you can survive, like it's dead here, and you know people that survive cancer. Um, it's no, I, I don't know if there's an argument whether it's inherited or not inherited. I don't care. It's <laughs> what it is. I know I got it, and it's not going to go away. And I have to attend it every day. Thanks, Kevin. Steve's alcoholic. Steve. Yeah, I think that, you know, disease is unwanted and the sexaholism is unwanted. I didn't want it. Um, Help me get through, but I, I, didn't, it was I didn't know of a better way. And so, yeah, it's kind of like being sick. And, um, you know, my identity is that I'm a child of God and that I'm not, you know, I have, a, I have an addiction, but I, I didn't. That doesn't define me. So first and foremost, I'm a child of God. And uh, I think it helps with the disease to, to just look at it and say, you know, I'm struggling with this, but there is a solution. And uh, it's not that I'm a bad person or just a sick person trying to get better. Thanks, Steve. And if Karen, if you want to talk. Okay. We have time for one more. Sure. Yeah, I'm Steve back against it. Uh, I had uh, the, what's the question again? <laughs> disease, the disease of sexaholism. Oh, yeah, yeah, now I remember. Uh, I didn't know it was a disease. I was a loner. I thought I was the only one. We never talked about this in church or home or anything. Sexual things were not talked about. And uh, so I didn't know. You know, I really didn't know when I got into the program, I heard people talking about this is a disease. And I, what, you know, but it took me a while in recovery before I realized, yes, it is a disease. And some people have a disease like I did. I have a mental problem and I had a breakdown. That's a disease too, you know. Some people have all the different addictions. 
get into whatever it is, smoking. Uh, oh, denial is one of my big ones. Thanks, Steve. Can we give it up for our panelists up here? I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Uh-huh.